0: I want to share with you guys real quick, I shared it with our team earlier as we were setting up the room, but we do officially have our fall series planned out. We are going to be going chapter by chapter through the book of Romans. So it's really going through the book of Romans and here's kind of the reason why we landed on this is last year for our retreat was really about the sacredness, right? Right? All of us who went on to retreat, we we learned about the sacredness and the holiness of the word, the holiness of the ground of the Lord. And so um, this past year, we've uh, had a lot of good conversations, a lot of good discussions, but there's something we really need to press into, I think, especially for your guys' generation and where we're really standing, um, is having confidence in your salvation, having confidence in the gospel, having confidence in what has called you eternally to a new life. Um, and the book of Romans um, is really this, it's this crescendo, it's this, uh, oh, that table, that got me. All right, yeah. So it's like this crescendo message of what salvation is, the, the fallout of man and the restoration of Jesus and kind of how that encapsulates the whole narrative and the whole story we're in. so... If you are here with us tonight, which you are, if you're seeing me and you're getting plugged in, we are in a series called Sex and Dating. So welcome to Thursday nights at Rindian Rocks. Uh, just to catch everyone up who hasn't been here, has been missing a few things. Last summer when, I, when we were first here, we did this thing called just Refined Nights in general. And we just had everyone ask whatever questions they wanted. And we did a five-part series and it stemmed from sex and relationships to how can we trust the Bible to discerning God's word Um, frameworks, how you view the world, and all these different things. And so for this summer, I wanted to continue it, but I wanted to potentially give it a focus. And so we said, I want you guys to take two months and just ask every question you have on sex and dating. And you all showed up and you showed out, and there was a lot of really good questions that turned into another five-part series. And so um, tonight we are covering what I've titled emotional damage. I... Thank you. I brought this up the last time and no one got it. I'm glad everyone was kind of on the same page. So what questions really sparked this one? I want you guys to hear this very clear as we talk about this tonight. I want you to know the three questions that really kind of stemmed um, into this sermon. And it's a very broad one. Why do people cheat? Amen. We all want to know that answer. How do we handle being mistreated and physically slash mentally taken advantage of by someone who claims to be a Christian? So how do we handle pretty much being abused in a relationship by someone who claims that they love Jesus? And then the last question is, how do we build healthy relationships that have godly boundaries that shift as you get from dating to engaged and to married? And so setting a precedent, if you look, if you got the note-taking paper, there are no points. Because as I was kind of working through this message and just kind of running through what we're really going to cover tonight... I couldn't really land on just three or two or whatever the good Baptist number for points is. There wasn't a good acronym I could follow. And so my prayer is, is that as we walk through this, you guys have enough section on the back um, to just take whatever notes that you would really like, because it's going to flow hopefully well. It's, uh, I'm praying the spirit leads in all of this, so it's going to flow well. Um, but that just the points will come to you. I really This, this one's, we're all going to experience this level of what we consider emotional damage in relationships different right? Um, We've all either been hurt or been the one to hurt, if we're going to be honest with ourselves. Um, Some of us might have experienced cheating. Some of us might have cheated. And so this really is, I want this to be that imagery of the throne room of grace. And so as we have discussions around the table later, and as we talk about this here tonight, I want you all to understand that the the grace and mercy of Jesus is extended through all of us as we have conversation. And so I want to start off with this quote from a guy named Louis Burkoff amazing theologian, pastor, um, just Bible scholar. And he says this about sanctification. And, And for some of you guys who know, when I say sanctification, what do we normally call it? The awkward teen years, right? It's the bowl cut when you're trying to grow out your hair and it looks all goofy and weird, which is now like the fad. Sorry if I'm pointing this out and people have it in here, but it's like the short on the sides and like the long goofy, like on the front No, Grady has like a curly mullet. He's rocking it, dude. Look at that. That's recorded, by the way, so you have a great mullet, Grady. All right, so let's read kind of what Lewis has to say about about sanctification because I think it's going to set the tone for us tonight as we enter into this, this kind of section. He says, when we speak of sanctification as being imperfect in this life, as a process, we do not mean to say that it's imperfect in parts as it only a part of the holy man that originates in regenerations were affected. It's as the whole, but yet undeveloped in the new man that must grow into full stature. A newborn child bearing exceptions, perfect in parts, but yet in the degree of development for which it is intended. So, but not in the, so what, it, what he's saying is a baby's made the right way and it has the arms, it has fingers, it has legs, and yet there's a difference between baby Mitch and Mitch now. Mentally, probably not far off, but physically, I grew a little bit, right? So the baby's still a human, it still is, but it's being developed, it grows, grows spurts, right? We, we have them now in, in young adult age, but it's usually in our guts, um, if, for me at least, but that's fine. So why do I bring this up tonight? We have to knock out two things before we can even talk about why do people cheat how do, we, how do we recover from someone who claims to be a Christian and hurts you? How do we handle emotional damage? We have to cover this reality to the believers in the room. I don't want to burst a bubble here, but you're not perfect. You make mistakes. You mess up. And that's why we have grace from God. That's why he calls it sanctification. It's a a building up process. Scripture says we're being conformed into his. We are currently, presently being conformed into the image of Christ. We are not glorified yet. That will come when the good Lord comes back for us prayerfully soon. Right? That is when we will be made perfect. That's when we will be brought into the goodness and and the fullness of God's perfection in there. But as of this side of heaven, we are now sinners saved by grace. But to the unbeliever, you need to understand that believers aren't perfect, that they are sinners saved by grace, and that's something not comprehensible when you have not experienced it yourself. See, because a lot of the unbelieving world, right, we've seen it in politics in the last few years, we've even seen it just in, in our friends groups, even, oh, you're a Christian, oh my goodness, you said a curse word. How dare you? I say this because we're young adults, so I can say this, but like we were in a meeting um, the other day kind of debriefing camp, which we made it. We made it through camp. Amen. Yes. Um, I wasn't expecting to debrief on Monday. I, I had just been mowing my lawn for like four hours because I left it abandoned all week and I had gone to the gym. So I had like heat stroke and I don't know what else. Um, and then I got a text that says, hey, can you be here at two to debrief? I guess. Uh, so I'm sitting in a room with all our fellow pastors and directors, and Pastor Aaron just looks at me and goes, all right, tell us about camp. Uh, well, it was freaking great. And a moment that left my lips, I was like, am I allowed a lot of Christian curse in here? Right? But what, that's just, it's how we are, right? It's not like I dropped the F-bomb. I dropped like the Christian F-bomb, I guess, like, freaking, I guess. Some people don't like that word, but I say it sometimes, right? We have to get it. This side of heaven, we are sinners saved by grace. We're not perfect people. And yet all the non-Christians out there, they want to throw that in our faces all the time. Well, how dare you do X, Y, or Z? How dare you say that? How dare you make a mistake? That's not the God I want to follow if that's how you act. Right? And, and we, they set an unprecedented look. And so if you are not a believer in this room tonight and you have a pre-notion of what Christians should be, I pray you leave it at that door and you hear what the word of God has to say about believers. See, sin is a real issue. Both sides are struggling with it, whether we're believers. If we're believers, we now have the power of Christ and the grace from Jesus to battle it daily and to have victory. But if you don't have the gospel and message hidden in your heart, if you haven't been made new in Jesus and you're here tonight, It says it. You're dead in your trespasses. You're blinded to the reality of true moral absolution. You're blinded to the fact that there is a true good and evil. The only thing guiding you is your own moral compass. And yet when we are in Jesus, we know that he gives us a moral compass, the word of God. He gives us exactly the absolute truths that we need to make it in this world. Romans 3, 9 through 20, if you want to flip there, it says this. 9 through 20 says It says, what then, are we Jews any better off? See, in the first two chapters of Romans, Paul pretty much said, hey, all you pagan, non-Israelite people, you sinners, you need Jesus. He goes, but don't you worry. Hey, Jewish people who think the law is going to save you, y'all sinners, y'all need Jesus. And to really make his point come across Chapter 3 tells Romans 3:23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So he's like, you know what? In case you guys still don't get the picture between chapter 1 and 2, I want to make it absolutely clear that you all understand that every single person without Jesus is a sinner and they're on a track to hell. Like I, We just need to make this clear before we go through the rest of Romans, pretty much, is what Paul's trying to put in. So he says, What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all, for we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside together that they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave they use their tongues to deceive. The venom of um, snakes, I can never, asps, is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood and their paths are ruin and misery. Verse 17, And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are already under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. We have to understand that all are sinners. No one does good. We all have a mouth that just speaks death. We have feet of aggression, all know no peace. We none of us fear God, and yet even with all those things, all of us are still accountable. So I want to put this question in front of you before we dive into the rest of the message tonight. Where do you stand? Do you stand in hopelessness, in the hopeless reality of a sinner dead in their sins, or as a sinner saved by grace and made alive in Christ? Where do you stand tonight? Do you stand dead in your trespasses? Or are you standing alive in the light and grace of Jesus Christ? Because that's going to determine a lot where we go from here. And so as we get to the question, why do people cheat? Well, first and foremost, people suck. We just established in Romans that we're sinful people, right? Can I get an amen? No one wants to say amen that one, well, I guess. That's fair. But we're sinful people. We've established that both believers and unbelievers are affected by sin. You either don't have the power of Jesus in you and you're still dead in your trespasses or you've been made alive in Christ and you now have the grace and mercy and power to overcome it every single day, but you're still struggling with it this side of heaven. So both parties are still affected by sin. The only difference, like we said, is that those who are now saved have the conviction of the Spirit so that when we do go and commit sin we feel it a whole lot different than someone who's blinded by their sin. We might push past it, but we'll never outrun it. That conviction will hit you like a semi-truck, sometimes literally, or a Toyota Sequoia, either one. Romans 7, 21 and 25 says this. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. There's, there's different schools of thought, and there's the right one and there's the wrong one. Um, the right one is that this is Paul walking through the reality of the, the war of the flesh and the, and the spirit, the mind. The sinner that is saved by grace, yet this side of heaven being sanctified daily, being made new daily. I love that song we just sang because I have got a new perspective on it. I struggled. I'll be honest, I struggled with the song New Wine for a long time. And this I, I look at the song different than the intended writers looked at it because I don't like the way they wrote it. So I like the way that I now look at the song. See, it talks about new wine being, we being made into new wine, the new wine coming out of us. When was the new wine established? It was established about 2,000 years ago when Christ spilt his blood on the cross so that you and I could have true forgiveness. The new covenant, the wine and the bread that represents our community, and our union to Jesus. He spilt his blood for us. And so when we're crying out, bring out the new wine in me, I want us to think about the fact, is he daily bringing the gospel out of you? Is he bringing the reality of your salvation to the forefront of your eyes? Is that something that you might sing it in here and look like the super Christian, but as soon as you walk out that door, you're like, I don't even know the gospel message. I like the song because it makes me feel all emotional and spiritual. But man, I don't even really know Jesus. See, Paul's reflecting on this, on this battle of the believer. And I love that he ends it with, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so that I now serve God with my mind and I fight the battle. Right? Right? So how does this, what does this pertain to the cheating? Why do I, why did I bring us to this passage? Why did I bring us to this to this scripture? Well, it's simple. James brings it up too, but it's as we as believers go on and live life, and we 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 wholeheartedly are praying to pursue and and press past. And I think one of our students brought it up at camp. um, right? We we pray for patience, and then what happens? puts you at a super long line at Walmart. And listen, at certain times in the day, Walmart's a different world, (laughs) right? Because what God is doing is he's saying, okay, you want to genuinely grow and learn in this, you're pursuing this righteousness, then let's press into it to where you have to lean on me. And trust me, when you go into Walmart, you better be praying before, during, and after. We need to be leaning on him, And so when we're going into relationships as two sinners, saved by grace, right? Because the first message we had in this series, unequally yoked, is a no-no. Don't care how you want to label it, how you want to display it, or how you want to justify it. Don't date someone who's an unbeliever. Their morals aren't yours. It's just, it's bad. Don't do it. There's my wisdom. Don't, just don't do it. So two sinners saved by grace, we still have to remember what? We are two sinners saved by grace trying to do life together. Ow. Sorry. Right? It's even in these small moments where I was, I was out hanging out with a good buddy of mine. We had gone rock climbing, and we're hanging out inflating my tire because I'm too lazy to get it fixed. Um, and all of a sudden, I'm getting texts from my wife that there was a baby frog hopping around the house, and our cat was trying to murder it. I am the unofficial exterminator, I do not get paid, Uh, I get hugs and kisses, so it works I guess, but um, my first instinct was to laugh, but I also know that if I didn't get home in time, it wasn't going to end well for me, because I had to get the frog, because she probably wasn't going to sleep at the house that night knowing there was a frog on the loose. But in my head, right, I'm a sinner saved by grace. So in my head, I'm like, man, I want to see how this plays out. Like, is the cat going to eat it? Is she going to get it? Like, what's going to happen? And then I looked at my friend, and I was like, I should probably get home. I need to get home. (laughs) So so we have to understand, first and foremost, that we're sinners saved by grace. But what that means is that, yes, Satan is going to press in and attack. Our flesh is going to wage war against us. Doubts and struggles are going to come in. But when we are two believers chasing after a God-honoring relationship, we have that common understanding. We understand this Romans 7 passage is alive and well in the both of us. And what does that do? It helps bring in that grace part. It helps bring in the fact that when I do mess up and I act like an idiot or say something dumb that I thought was a funny joke, I know that she will inevitably extend grace. And that when my wife makes a snide remark about how I hog the bed or whatever, I will extend grace. Because we're sinners saved by grace. But this is a sad part that I wish more and more people could see and catch on to. This is the reality of unbelievers dating, or a believer dating an unbeliever. There's either one or two people in that relationship who have zero idea what it truly means to have a moral law, what it truly means to have a selfless love in their life already to be mirrored after. They're basing everything off of their own preconceptions and pre-notions. They're basing everything off Hollywood and Hallmark. They're basing everything off of what they learned at home. And unfortunately, it's, it's a sad reality that it's a doom and gloom prognosis. What I've come to learn through Scripture and through this passage, the one before in Romans 1 where it says all of us fall, or Romans 3 where we all have fallen short, you can boil almost every sin down to one thing who is sitting on the throne of your heart. You talk to someone who's on the other side of being the cheater, blown up their relationship, all alone, probably all their friends have left them because the friends were really friends with their girlfriend or wife because they're way cooler. Right? But when you boil it down, it's because they put themselves first. They put themselves first. See, people cheat when lust and desire overpower genuine love and respect for others. Be honest with yourself. People will cheat because their own selfish desire outweighs the respect they have for the other person. I like this one because people have actually said it in counseling sessions and such, but people cheat when they get bored and they're not even ashamed of it. There's no commitment, right? We're just dating. There's no ring on our finger. Mind you, it's even worse when there is a ring on the finger. And you're just like, duh, got bored on a Saturday. Figured I'd go on a weekend trip. This person was giving me attention. This person's not. People cheat when they get bored. People cheat because we let our own minds and sinful hearts deceive our perceptions of what's actually happening. We downplay the consequences. I was talking with uh, another pastor friend of mine who's dealing with something that I I don't even know of, and this has probably always been a thing, but we've just never really talked about it, like a lot of stuff that we probably should talk more about, Um, but it's the emotional affairs. It's the emotional cheating. Right? I mean, Jesus says it straight up. You've already committed adultery if you've lusted after another person in your heart. So why do people cheat? because they're filling their hearts and their minds with absolute hot garbage through pornography, through television, through friendships that they know are definitely blurred boundaries. Through not respecting other people, through not having enough respect for themselves to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Why do people cheat? These are selfish. And if you've been in that position, I've asked that you look back And I promise you, you'll be able to go, hmm, you're right. I was selfish. Do not be deceived, Galatians 6. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap. And if we do not give up, so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. See, cheating, much like the reality of divorce, is a fruit, not a root problem. I hope you hear that clearly. Cheating is a result of a deeper sin, not just a sin in and of itself. We covered this in one of our other messages. We don't just wake up one day, dive headfirst into cheating, and mistreat a loved one. We don't just go, you know what? Today's Tuesday. Sounds like a great day to cheat on my wife. No. I don't care how much you want to lie to yourself that you're like, oh, it's was just spur of the moment. No, it wasn't. Because James chapter 1, verse 14 tells us very clearly that desire leads to thoughts. Those thoughts lead to a plan. Those plans lead to actions, and those actions lead to death. Sin is always done on purpose. You don't just trip on a crack in the sidewalk and accidentally sin. Sin is a willful action of disobedience against God. You don't just accidentally cheat. We high-five then all of a sudden I was at her house. I have no idea what happened. No, that's not how that works. And if it does, you probably drank way too much. So what are you sowing when it comes to love and relationships? Are you sowing spiritual and biblical truths into your daily life to build up guardrails and strong convictions? Or are you sowing fleshly desires into every thought to where you are so self-centered, you are upset when the just consequences and sinful and hurtful results slap you in the face? You all have been there, and it might not even be in cheating at this point, but you're so just, you dive so deep head first into a certain sin that when someone calls you out on it, you're offended by it. How dare you say that? We we usually see it with people with addictions, right? Well, I'm not addicted. I can put it down whenever. Okay, put it down. Right? They're so consumed in trying to cover up and hide and normalize their sin that the moment you try to call them out in love, what do they do? They get offended. They get hurt. They make you the sinful person for being mean. And hard and bitter. Are you doing that in your relationship? Are you doing that just in your life? Because the fact that you cheat doesn't, again, just, you won't wake up and go, yeah, today's a good day. It's a nice weather outside. And so we have to understand, Scripture makes it very clear that God is not mocked. How we live, how we act, how we speak, how we think, sows. And so are we pursuing righteousness in all aspects of our life or are we trying to have pet sins that we love to just carry around and hide? Because I promise you, like it says, God is not mocked. So believer in the room tonight, what pet sins are you holding on to that you know It seems so harmless to you, but the moment your significant other were to hear about it, it would ruin everything. And to the unbeliever, you need Jesus because currently you're just dead and blind to anything that could be a hindrance and an obstacle to your relationship. See, when you're in a phase of dating or you're thinking about dating or you've been dating for a while, when you have Jesus, when you understand that this isn't just a piece of your life, when Jesus isn't just a t-shirt you can put on on Sundays that says, huh, my lifeguard walks on water. When you realize that he is eternally powerful, he is sovereign, he is good, he is just, He has a righteous anger. He will not be mocked. When you understand that that is the God who is real, he exists, he is the one that sent his son to die for you so that when you were made, knew it was only because of him and through him. When you finally get that picture, it affects every ounce of your being in your life. It's like those really just... Listen, and I don't like them, but they're still cringy. Like the country songs who are like, we want a girl who can tear up the streets on Saturday, but she's in the pew singing on Sunday. Right? Like, why can't you just have the same girl Saturday and Sunday? Why does she have to be two different people? Right? Is that the life you want to live? Do you want to be the raging bad boy on Saturday night? And then be like, oh, but I sing in the choir on Sunday mornings. Or do you just want to be the follower of Christ that He's called you to be every moment? Living different lives is tiring. Living one life is tiring. I don't understand why y'all want to live a double life, one's hard. having a relationship with Jesus, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and the right fear of God, right? It said none of them had a right fear of the Lord. When we have a healthy fear of the Lord, it will trickle down into every aspect of your life, the way you work, the way you eat, the way you sleep, the way you have relationships. Every aspect will be affected by the blood of Jesus. So how do we, when it happens, what do we do when that guy, man, he makes the Christian memes and he seems so spiritual and he's so cool and he's awesome and everyone likes him and then you get to meet him and he is a raging jerk. Treats church like it's a workplace for him. And it hurts, it tears you up. How do we respond that's different than how an unbeliever or the world would respond? How do we bounce back from when someone who holds Jesus' name up here and yet pushes you down here takes place? How do we handle these moments? How do we bounce back? Colossians 2, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted in and built up in him, and established in faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human traditions, according to the eternal spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him, the fullness of deity dwells, and you have been filled in him who is the head of of all rule and authority first we need to remind ourselves that we are not jesus we are not jesus the person who is a believer and hurt you or the one who simply held the label and lied their way to get to you also isn't jesus So when the church hurts you, when a believer hurts you, you can't take that and go, God, you suck. You can't take that and go, you know what, this is why I don't go to church on Sundays because that guy was mean. Your boyfriend, your girlfriend, who is a raging jerk and still held the name Christian, doesn't equal Jesus. So you're hurt And your pain and your discomfort, it's real. I'm not downplaying that. But what I want to make very clear is the moment you take that and you use it against God, you need to repent. Before anything else can change, before any healing can happen, you need to repent of the fact that you're allowing a sinner, hopefully saved by grace and just made a horrible decision to determine how you see God. I'm going to be 100% honest, especially your generation. What do we really like to do? We really like to elevate that maverick city, right? We want to dress like them. We want to look like them. Man, that's Stephen Furtig. And he uses all the coolest illustrations. He says really catchy things that just make, they make the word come alive because he has a squirt gun. And what do we do? We become wrapped up. We, we emulate our faith based off of these human people. See, we do it in relationships with boyfriends and girlfriends, but we also do it in our spiritual relationships. We bank our faith on the people that are around us and the people that we watch on TV. Because I'm going to be honest with you, these celebrity pastors are falling away because God will not be mocked. His bride will be presented blameless and spotless one day. These false teachers, these false preachers, these false churches, these false converts, they will fall away, and his bride will be refined and presented pure and holy. And Ephesians 5 tells us that is how the mystery of marriage looks it is Christ and the church. We cannot equate a sinner saved by grace to a holy God. That is the first step. 2 Corinthians 5. For now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. We are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Not only were you reconciled to God, he now gives you the same ministry of reconciliation. See, when we are hurt by someone or abused by someone, we are called to forgive and shine grace as Jesus does. And this is going to get touchy, but I want you all to hear it very clearly. We now see people, even those who hurt us, we see them as eternal souls. They're not just a temporary bag of flesh that we hang out with and do things with. So even if you're the one who got hurt or you're the one who did the hurting, we have to remind ourselves that this isn't just a temporal thing that's just going to go away one day and none of it matters. All of it matters. Especially if if you're a believer, you now know that there is such weight to the person because we were created in the image of God. Whether they know that or not, they were and are. But we also have to dispel this. We now also realize that to forgive is not to simply forget. The whole premise of forgive and forget is just as silly as it's not a religion, it's a relationship. See, the whole premise for forgive and forget is actually more damaging than helping. Because if you genuinely forgave someone who abuses you, say say you're physically being abused in a relationship. This whole worldly model of forgive and forget, okay, you forgive, you forget, what's going to happen? Nine times out of ten, you're going to walk into that next relationship and it's going to happen all over again. Why? Because you forgot. Right, It's the whole reason why we need to have history classes. Because if we don't understand what happened in history, we're just going to do it all over again. We're just going to keep reinventing. Actually, we do still keep reinventing the wheel, so I can't use that example. But here's what we need to do as believers. We actually need to do something that's wiser and more powerful we forgive and choose daily not to hold their past sins against them. See cuz if we're called to forgive as we have been forgiven, guess what? God didn't just go, "All right, now that Mitch is saved, I've forgotten everything he's done." Well, first and foremost, that's if that's not an all-knowing God if he's forgetting. But what he's doing in the moment that I am reconciled to him, in the moment that I am justified by the blood, he is saying, I no longer see Mitch, I see my son's blood, I see the redemption, I see forgiveness. Knowing how dirty, rotten, and gross that I am, he chooses to not hold it over me anymore in judgment. He chooses to say, now that penalty was paid by the blood. He didn't just go, I forgot what Mitch did yesterday. No, he's saying, man, I love him. While we were still sinners, Christ came and died for us. That is the love of a father. That is the love of Christ. That is the power of the blood. That it doesn't have to forgive and forget. It forgives and no longer holds it against us. It forgives and uses it to build us up to be conformed to the image of Christ. It forgives and gives grace. So how do we overcome past hurt and abuse? See, we first forgive others as we have been forgiven. This is why as unbelievers, you will never truly heal or be able to move on from hurt. If you don't understand the forgiveness of the blood of Christ, if it's never been made known to you, the sweet redemption of Jesus, you will never truly understand how to move on and move forward. Why do you think that our generation is so wrapped up in labeling themselves? Oh, I've compartmentalized childhood PTSD with fragmented schizophrenia. Okay, so like what you doing about it? Well, now I'm aware of it. So now I just tell people that's what I have and I let them deal with it. What? So you're fully aware of a problem and you're just going, it's me. It's like the people who are like, well, I'm just naturally sassy, so you got to deal with it. No, work on yourself. Get humble. You don't have to be sassy (laughs) 24-7. Second, we then move from hurt to model what Jesus does. See, Jesus, he forgives and then gives us means by which we can grow from where we were in our sin. It says, first, he reconciled us, and then he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So he says, I'm going to show you in your own life what this is. Now go and express that to others. So instead of forgiving and forgetting, we need to forgive and grow. We need to forgive and then take what has happened and build off of that. So that might look like correction and continuing some type of relationship. It might be a, we're no longer dating, but like we can still be friends. Like it wasn't like life altering. Like, but you stupid, you messed up. I'm dating you, right? But like we'll grow. You now are aware of how dumb you were. Let's grow from it so that whoever you decide to date next, we can champion you not being as dumb, right? And you'll get the discernment if you pray. The Holy Spirit will give you discernment if you need to stick around or. It could look like a final conversation of restoration for them. And then setting healthy boundaries and even maybe healthy separation. You're not called to bring the solution. Right? It says, go bring reconciliation. Go give them the gospel message. It doesn't mean that you have to stay in the situation. You're not Jesus. The fix to their problems doesn't come from you. It comes from the word of God, it comes from the Holy Spirit, and it comes from the conviction of him alone. Because all the time people are like, well, we have to love like Jesus loved, right? That means we can't walk, I got I can fix him. Ladies, you can't fix him. Guys, stop making yourself something to be fixed, If we're being completely honest, we always hark on the right. We always hark on the ladies. Like, ladies, you can't fix them. But, guys, we got to stop. We got to stop. The reality of this rough, gruff, I'm an alpha male. I can do it all on my own. And then when we find that girl, we're like, that's the one. We do the, oh, man, life is just. I don't like to express my emotions to a lot of people. And. I just can open up to you. You know dang well you don't struggle with that problem, but you're using it because you know she's fallen for it. Be confident in who God's called you to be, gentlemen. Because guess what? If her level of faith and love for the Lord is what's making you go, man... I've never experienced that before. You don't need to be dating. You need to be working on your relationship with the Lord because you're the one who's called to be the head of the household. You're the one who's called to be the leader. You're the one who's called that that woman one day is going to willingly submit because you're submitting yourself to the Lord. We all love the wives submit to your husbands. We all forget that, guess what? At least we're a barrier for our wife. We're submitting to God in the relational umbrella. You gentlemen will be held accountable for your family, first and foremost. You will be held accountable for your relationships. You will be held accountable for how you treat your wife. Scripture is clear on how the family is set up. Why do you think that's what society is trying to attack so much? Listen, I, got, I was raised in a single mother household. I know it's not ideal. I know it's not the perfect picture. I know not to champion it. My mom did amazing. I think, I'm biased, but like, I think she did a pretty good job with her two kids. But I know it's not an ideal situation. That's not what God intended for my mother. That's why he's so specific about husbands and wives and children, that it's male and female, not a spectrum. There is intricacy and design in all of it. So if that's the reality, if this is the present, then how do we set these standards as we wrap up? Well, we have to go to a passage, right? Because we established this during the dating games message that there's not really a passage in the Bible where it's like, all right, gentlemen, if you want to date, you've got to do X, Y, and Z. And all right, ladies, if you want to have a boyfriend, you've got to do this. The Apostle Paul says, I'm, you know, dating 101. No, there's no passages like that. But we are given passages about marriage, right, about husbands and wives. And so what we can do is we can see the standard that is set, and then we can see how it can be fleshed out to build up to it. And so that's where we go in 1st Peter chapter 3. 1st Peter chapter 3 says, "Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of your hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart." with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit within God's sight is very precious. Verse 5, For this is how the holy woman who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children, and if you do good and do not fear anything, that is frightening. Likewise, husbands live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor To the woman, as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So, what what standard has been set? What do we see in this picture? First and foremost, we got to dispel this one, and I think I've said it before, and I will say it again till the day I die. I love that Scripture makes it very clear because this was a problem even back in biblical times. Likewise, wives be subject to a husband to your own husband if somebody's married they're not meant for you we laugh but that is our world that is why people cheat oh i just you know i I married the wrong person or you know we're married but like she doesn't satisfy my needs right or he's always gone no, it says your own husband. Not Dorothy's husband down the street. Not the boyfriend that you guys are a weird like friends group with where it's always just you, your friend, and her boyfriend. You're not meant for him. He's pursuing someone else. If God doesn't want them together, he'll probably break them up. You ain't got to do it. right first and foremost that's one of the standards but what else wives are you are, are, are ladies are you setting up the standard in your own lives that you are living living and conducting your life biblically are you just following jesus to follow jesus like the first step are you pursuing christ as your lord and savior Because if not, forget everything else that you want answers to. That's the one that you need an answer to. Who is your Lord and Savior? Yourself or Jesus? Respectable and pure in nature. Do you have respect for yourself? Man, I can't tell you in middle school at camp, I was already dealing with bonehead dudes who were making dumb comments to girls and the girls were just like, oh, it just means that he likes me even though he called me a whale. You laugh. That's what's being said. That's not funny. That's like me walking around this room to every single girl in here or waking up every morning looking at Jess and going, hey, what's up, whale? We laugh because we know how stupid it is, but that is the standard the world has set. What's the stupid thing, right? If a boy picks on you on the playground, it means he likes you. We mean it jokingly when they're small. It translates because all you ladies have been told is that, no, you're not good enough for him, or you're ugly, you're weird, so what do you do? You, you seek and you tr- drive for attention from anybody. So then when the boy's walking around calling you a whale and throwing around racial slurs, instead of going, uh-uh, I ain't standing for that, you go, oh, he's giving me attention. What? Respect yourselves. That's what I also love about this passage. I'm about to sound real Southern Baptist. Do not let your adorning be external. If the only reason he comes and talks to you, and and when you say, hey, what do you like most about me, and the first thing he says is physical, step back, quick. Back up, Terry. (laughs) Listen, that was a good reference. I'm just saying. You don't have to reveal everything, right? There is, and I'm not saying you need to walk around in like, you know, parachute pants and turtlenecks. Like, I'm not going that far. I'm just saying you don't have to reveal it all when you're walking around, right? Do not carry yourselves, that's the other point I just made. There you go. Are you gentle spirited? Are you gentle, And I get it. Some of us—I mean, I'm I'm way more brash than most people. I think—and I mean, that's fine. Um, but are you gentle, ladies, or or do you feel like to be able to connect with guys and the other people that you just got to be this abrasive, just like swearing up and down? Oh, I'm one of the guys, <laughs> right? It's like the Amanda, Amanda Amanda Bynes movies, like she's the guy or whatever, like she's the man, right? Like. Oh, I don't have girlfriends because they're drama. No, it's not. No, it's not. We can tell ourselves this all we want, but at a certain point, we got to draw a line. But here's the one that I love the most. Are you doing good and are you fearless? Are you fearless in the Lord? Or are you so beat down and abused and belittled in your life and think so little of yourself that you fear what men has to say that you will bow down to the first guy who gives you a lick of attention for any reason or are you fearless meaning are you confident are you adorning the internal that is pure and the hidden person that God calls precious? Are you standing tall in who God has made you to be? To where when you wake up, the first thing you aren't thinking about is what picture you're gonna post or what clothes you're gonna wear? Do you understand that you need to first make sure what you're adorned with on the inside? It's like the whitewashed tombs that we talk about with the Pharisees, man. They look religious and godly on the outside, but they're dead on the inside. Listen, you can put poopery all over poop. It's still poop. So where are you you finding your boldness? Is it in your exterior or the interior? Are you finding your boldness in who God has made you to be? And men, we're going to hit that mainly here in a second, but let me ask you this question. When you're pursuing a relationship something I make sure I I check my heart on daily with Jess, am I setting her up as the spiritual leader so that she can go out every second of her life and be fearless and bold, not only in our marriage, but in her walk with the Lord? Because how it says, do good and fear nothing that is frightening. Am I setting up my wife for success each day saying, you know what? You are loved, you are worthy, and you are valued in the eyes of Jesus. And girl, I believe that too. That's why there's a ring on the finger. Right? Am I doing that every single day so that my wife doesn't have to go to someone else for attention and affection? Because it's so easy to love wives submit to your husbands. It's so easy to love women submit to the men. But men, are we empowering women to be fearless in their walks with the Lord first and foremost. Because if you ain't, they don't got time for you. Husbands, first and foremost, are you viewing women like the list that is set above? Are you looking at women who are valuing their relationship with Jesus above your friendship? Are you looking at women who who they would rather know the truths of this book and what it says about who they are than Hollywood? Are you chasing after women who are so confident in who they are and the beauty that God has given them inside and out? Are you chasing those women, or are you looking for the woman who's willing to show you just enough cheek? Are we being honest? This might sound so dumb, But the first thing I ever noticed about Jess was her smile and her squinty eye. But that's because it's only when she smiles and now she's getting nervous, all right. But here's the deal is I, when I was even a young believer I still chased after those worldly standards, right? It brought me nothing but hurt. It brought me nothing but failure. It brought me none of this. When God finally got a hold of my heart and said, man, you're not gonna get it. You're never gonna be the man of God that you're called to be. You're gonna be nothing than what your dad was until you understand how to respect and value women. And that's not gonna come from just looking at the guys around you because they're gonna fail. It's gonna come from how does God see his daughters? How does God Adorn them? How does God call them? So, men, are we chasing women who are holding this list, or are we chasing women who can bring you a temporal satisfaction? But I love that it also says treat them with understanding and honor. Are you honoring the woman you're pursuing? Are you honoring for the gentlemen in here who are married? Are you honoring your wives? It starts with what's attracted you to them in the first place. It's really real easy to honor the physical. Nine times out of ten, it just leads to sin anyways. But man, when you honor that spiritual, that, that, that spiritual reality of who they are in Jesus, when you're honoring that, that's when rubber meets the road. And so as we close, and as you pursue dating and want to do it biblically to help build up healthy boundaries and guidelines, well, first and foremost, y'all need to get right with Jesus, both men and women. I mean, that's, I'm going to hark it in every single message that I give in this series. If you don't have Jesus, none of this is ever going to matter because you can't do anything on your own. John 15 Without Christ, you can do nothing. You might think you're successful. You might think you're pulling the ladies. You might think whatever you want. I promise you, you are nothing. It is in Christ. And when he is something to us, we can actually go pursue something purposeful in this world. So we need Christ. Men, find women who are pursuing Jesus genuinely not in a way where you might be confused if they're claiming the label or actually loving Jesus. If the first thought that runs through your mind is, hmm, I wonder if they're a believer. Now, I'm not saying this when you see someone across the hallway and you've never talked to them before, and you're like, they don't smell like a Christian, I'm not going near it. We're not weird hyper over here, Right? But if you've had like an interaction with them or two, and you're going, yeah, I have no idea where they stand on their faith or their relationship with Jesus, that's probably a good indication. Women, find men who are so humble in leadership that you can't help but tell that they are walking personally with the Lord. I was just talking with, with one of my friends in here earlier and, and, and in this season especially in my life. I've never been more happy to be humbled. There is such peace in realizing that I am not enough. And there's such a boldness to lead my wife and our family when I know I'm not the final answer. Ladies, are you able to see in the men that you're around? Are they, are they leading in that sense, just their lives in general? Are they taking all the claim and fame for how well they're doing or how they're leading? Or are they constantly just pushing it back to Jesus? But when you're in a relationship, seek to honor of the word together. When you're dating are you holding the Bible as importance in your relationship? You both should be clearly speaking to each other about your understandings of the reverence of the marriage bed. We talked about that in Hebrews. The marriage bed should be undefiled. Lay out the areas where you both have, uh, that you both have that you know are either traps or obstacles that if you allow them to happen, you'll fall into sin. This might sound silly, and again, we might laugh, but man, if you know that the moment you go in for a kiss, it can trigger certain feelings for you, and you know you're working on that in a current moment, be vocal about that. If you know that if you hang out in each other's rooms, even as adults, (laughs) right? Even if you're hanging out one-on-one alone alone, near a bed, and you're, well, it's my bedroom. If you know it's an obstacle, don't do it. Set up, just, it's so, it's nothing even mind-blowing. It's just common sense. How many of you have ever seen the movie Juno? Right, if you hold hands, you'll get pregnant and die? Listen, that's not physically how it works, but if that's the standard you gotta hold, don't hold hands, I don't care. Do whatever you need to do to honor each other. I mean, work through that, because at least hold hands. My goodness. But have confidence in each other. When doubt and insecurity get a foothold, they create the chasm for us to begin to make dumb choices that don't even need to take place. See, I should be, it's like Pastor Jeff says, right? Martha goes off on a trip, and some guy's like, oh, hey, Martha, you know, and he's like, Martha's never gonna, Martha would never cheat on me. Like, it's just as simple as that. And the guy's like, "Well, then you must have great faith in your wife." No, I have a great wife, right? Like, your God can't do. No, like yeah, that's a great God. I mean, that's a great faith. No, I just have a great God. Like, I have confidence in my wife. We have instilled confidence in each other that I know when she takes four hours at Home Goods, she's not at some dude named Brody's house, right? But. I promise you, all of us have had those thoughts in relationships, when they're not texting back right away, when we're not getting the phone calls, when they're struggling with stuff or they get quiet in a season, right? We're, We're instinctively trained to just assume the worst. That's from past hurt, that's from our sin nature, that's from bad experiences, and then we take all of those and we lump them onto people and we make assumptions before we even know they're true. We have to have confidence in each other and to kind of close, I want to say this. Do not fall for the lie that more physical intimacy leads to more security in your relationship. Unless you're married, the physical intimacy is not a standard for security. Sex is a gift from God meant for the marriage bed, meant for the husband and wife Sex does not fix the problem. If you feel like you're losing the love of your boyfriend or girlfriend all of a sudden, and you guys haven't had sex yet, don't just go, Ha ha, wait! We can make it work! I'm sorry I was holding out. Sorry I had, you know, boundaries. Morals and respect for myself. I'll throw all of it out the window and you just stay with me. Don't fall for that lie. Here's one that, and I I say this as kind-hearted as possible, but babies don't fix the problem of brokenness. Don't start a family because you feel like that's the way you can hold them together. Every child is a life, precious in the sight of God. They're not just a tool you can use to fix a crap relationship. But also, I can promise you, abortion isn't a solution either. So when you decide to cross the line and make the mistake and make the sinful action of having sex before marriage and a baby comes along, You better check your heart real quick if all of a sudden you're like, get rid of it. Babies are not a fix and babies are not a problem. So check yourselves. And just because you try to give your relationship a new label, that doesn't automatically mean the level of love is going to go with it. My goodness, please just learn to date. You can go get Taco Bell with somebody and it doesn't have to be a big deal. Hey, we like each other. Cool. Let's go get food and talk. You're not giving your left shoe or whatever Pastor Jeff shared that one time and couldn't get it back on, right? We're not, there's no covenant oath. You're going to Taco Bell to figure out if you guys are actually meant for each other. That is dating. Dating is not a, a, you're not getting married next month. This isn't the 1960s where people were married at 14 and you had kids at 18. That's just not culture. Just because you go on a date doesn't mean you guys are now wedded for life. You're allowed to go one-on-one with somebody to a movie, to a restaurant, and not have all these pre-notions set in that, well, we have to hold hands, we have to kiss, we have to do these things, or she's not going to know that I like her. Shut up. Just be with the person. Just get to know them. That was one of the best things Jess and I ever did. We've known each other for a long time. We were we tried dating, and I was an idiot. It didn't work. We were teenagers. I was a punk. Um, and we broke up, but we stayed friends. We stayed really good friends. And then I left to go to Polk County for about three years. We, we stayed in contact, but not a lot, not to the point where I was like, I know she's going to be my wife, um, even though I said that. But, uh... When we both came back, God brought us together back here to Starkey Road Baptist Church. When we both were like, listen, we, were, we both kind of came out of some really wonky situations. We said, listen, let's just, we spent time together. We just dated. We didn't kiss. We didn't hold, we held hands maybe. A little bit. I don't know. It's kind of like when you're driving and you put your hand on their knee. Like we did that. But... <laughs> Yikes, getting called out by Siri. All right. So I did, in fact, put my hand on her knee. Siri called me out. But hear me out. When they say to date your spouse, they mean it. They mean it wholeheartedly. Jess and I built such a healthy dating culture in our relationship because we took the time to get to know each other before we ever let any of the physical or the intimacy take place. We took time to just get to know each other. So I encourage all of you, whether you're in a relationship, you're trying to pursue a relationship, or whatever it might be, get to know people. Because the physical will fade. But the spiritual and the emotional and the mental attraction will not if you build it up right. So as we close, and I know this one was a little bit longer, but it's just how it is, and hopefully you guys aren't mad at me, but... I know, I'm sorry. I have to share this and then I'll be done. We all need to remember Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all are sinners. But there's a lot of us in this room tonight that know Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is, but the gift of God is through Christ Jesus If you're in this room tonight and you've never experienced that relationship with Christ Jesus, that's my plea for you tonight because none of this series and nothing else we share matters until you have a right relationship with Jesus. So how does that work? Romans 10, 9 and 10, for if you confess with your mouth that he is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead three days later, you shall be saved. If you do not have a relationship with Jesus tonight, that's the foundation to anything that we've covered. You have to have your heart right with Jesus. Amen? All right, let's pray, and then we'll go into small groups. Father, thank you for tonight. Lord, I know it was a longer message, and there was a lot to cover. And Father, I, I know you've laid this on our hearts to talk about because it's needed, so I pray that everyone in this room was able to at least get one thing from your word tonight, God. God, I pray that every single person in this room knows that their identity, their worth, their value is not found in a relationship, it's not found in the other sex, it's not found in how they look, it's found in where their heart is. God, I pray that we all can just take inventory of who is sitting on the throne in our hearts tonight. And God, even for us as believers sometimes, we can try to sneak up back to that throne seat. And I pray you humble us so quickly. God, we are so thankful that we can gather as just young adults figuring out what dating and marriage and all these things are starting to look like because this is the stage of life we're in. God, I am so thankful we've taken the time to just cover this word by word and carefully. No matter what might be spoken, God, we pray that it was all your truth and all your word. Lord, we love you. Bless this time together. Keep us all safe as we leave here tonight. Let us not leave here tonight having A, the gospel conversation if we need to, but B, talking with each other about where we're at and being honest and finding accountability in the family that you've provided for us here at Indian Rocks. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We pray this all in your son's name, Jesus. Amen. As you guys go into your groups, Jess and I will be sitting up front if you have any questions about what was going on tonight or what we talked about. um, But if not, hang out. There are leaders around the room if you want their information as well, but let's do some small groups and then we'll break out.